Good afternoon, everybody. Ow, I just shocked myself on my microphone. I'm Andrew Decker in this a shocking is an experience. Ele- electrifying <laughs> podcast. I'm Andrew Harris. Uh, welcome, wow, everybody. That, <laughs> 30 seconds in, less than 30 seconds in, I've already made a fool of myself. You, you think I, we're going to survive this show? No, I'm. it's electrifying. This and uh, uh, Grease Lightning. <laughs> Grease Lightning. Is that almost like White Lightning? No, those are completely okay. different things. Well, Grease Lighting is a song 50s, so. from the movie Grease, which was from the 70s. White Lightning is the un, uh, unaged, direct process of distilling either corn or barley or other mash into an alcohol. Awfully knowledgeable about that subject. <sighs> well, you you know I you know I like you know I like a good I like you, a good whiskey or a good bourbon, and my wife's favorite movie is Grease. So these are things I know. You know who has done a lot of research? Yes, our, I do. Our guest for today. Our guest, our guest has done a lot of research recently. He sure has. Um, and and on a you know on a an air in an area that we don't often talk about. I think maybe we've had one other appellate um, ish type episode, but today we're talking to Jeffrey Shearer. Uh, solo practitioner who decided to take one of his appointed cases up on appeal and was granted oral argument. That alone is exciting, right? That is I mean, exciting. How, how many cases that get appealed get a uh, no thank you? Right. Um, all of them, all the ones that I've, I've ever filed. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a pretty quick and easy uh, kind of deal. Yeah. But yeah. But Jeff got oral argument, and we, we, what we're going to do is we're going to ask Jeff mostly about the process of when the trial was, what issue he saw, what he appealed, and then how did he prep for oral arguments. And we may ask him how he thought it went. He, he obviously doesn't have an answer yet. That was just last week. But uh, Andrew and I both have, well, we're, we're, we're kind of like proud papas. We both, we've both proud mentored Jeff. Right? And, yeah. and he's, he's doing super great. In fact, he's making us look bad. Um, so, yeah. Jeff. Uh, it's great to have hey, you Jeff on the show. Here. Hey, thanks for having me. Make sure you keep don't you don't have to shock yourself. Make sure you keep that mic close, otherwise we're not going to hear you. Sure thing. All right. Um, uh, so first of all, just introduce yourself. Tell us how you got into the law, because this is not a this is not your first you know first rodeo. Uh, well, I actually tried to go into law school uh, when I joined the service. I tried to go in as a JAG officer. I'm a Marine Corps veteran. Um, And believe it or not, my test scores were not high enough uh, to be a JAG. I know that feeling. Yep, me too. (laughs) But uh, the weird thing is, is I tried to switch over um, and I retook the LSAT and all that stuff while I was on active duty. And uh, my scores were like vastly improved. Um, And so I applied for a special program, switch over and be a JAG, and they didn't select me. Yeah. And so I made the decision to get out and just go to law school. All right. Good for you, man. Good for How you. How long were you in the Marine Corps? Uh, about seven years, 11 months. Wow. Okay. <laughs> about, about seven yep. years, 11 months. See, exactly. civilians would say it was almost eight years, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> the Marine knows exactly how long. Well, it seems like, though, the Marines must have beat some sense into you if, you're, if your LSAT scores went up. That, that's probably accurate. Yeah. Well, good for you. Yeah, real life training. You never know what, like, a little bit of pull your head out of your behind will do to your, uh, to your intellectual capacity. Well, and, and obviously thank you for your service. Yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So that, that's how you got into, uh, the legal profession. Why, why criminal law? 
Well, I, I believe, as I'm sure y'all do, that um, the same oath we take to enter the service and defend the Constitution is uh, the same oath we kind of take to become attorneys. And it's, it's something I believe in, just like y'all. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I spoke to, well, almost every year for the last four or five years, I've spoken to a paralegal class. Uh, intro to par- you know to criminal or, or to law for a paralegal class, and all I do is talk about defending the Constitution, um, because as criminal defense attorneys, I think it is ninety percent of what we do. Defending facts is becomes about ten percent. You know, often it's a are, was the stop good? Were the rights infringed? Did the officer do the things correctly? Um, defending uh, the Constitution. So yeah, I, I think that's exactly what we do. Yeah, agreed. So, you know, we, we, we talked about this at the, at the top of the show, but you recently gave oral arguments um, at the Second Court of Appeals. That's something that not a lot of people are given the opportunity to do. And for those of you playing along at home, the Second Court of Appeals sits on the ninth floor of the Tim Curry Justice Center in downtown Fort Worth. Um, and so uh, most of us don't even go to the ninth floor, right? Yeah, it's, I've it's, never been there. It's beautiful. Um, and so just that alone makes you special. <laughs> Sorry, I had to interrupt just to so, kind of let people know where it was. So when was, you know, when were you the trial attorney? I, I was, and it was in fact, my first trial. Fantastic, man. First trial as a, uh, like in total or as a defense attorney for first trial in total and as a defense attorney. Fantastic. And when was that trial? Uh, November 2nd last year. Okay. So okay. about 10 months ago out of what County? Uh, Hood County. Okay. Um, so you're down there in beautiful Granbury, Texas, not Hood County. Yes. Yeah. Um, last November, give us just a brief fact, fact pattern situation of, of the trial, if you don't mind. Um, so it was a bench trial because, uh, this was, you know, during the height of COVID and, um, the the case itself, I don't don't know how much you'll want me to get into it, but I, I didn't think it was a very, serious case in the sense that, you know, there's not like there's a, there's a victim involved or anything like that. Um, it was something that some people can receive a ticket for. Um, some people can receive a little more than just ticket. And, uh, we, we took it to trial to the court, a bench trial. And, uh, I don't even think it lasted a full day. Uh, I did not win, but I think. Well, it's a bench trial in Hood County. I mean, you know, and, and you filed an appeal. Loud. You've already, we already know you didn't win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is this is this like a possession of marijuana, a theft, a DWLI? What what? Uh, you know, not that yeah, it yeah. really what, matters. What was the actual charge? The the actual charge is illegal outdoor burning in violation of the Clean Air Act. Oh, geez. Okay, so one that you know, so not only were you allowed to do something that's that's pretty rare. I think for, for attorneys, uh, in the appellate process, but this is actually like just kind of a rare charge to begin with. Have you ever had any of these types of cases? No, because often it's really, they're going to try to charge that as arson. It, well, I mean, that, that's funny as arson or as like what the, uh, the, what's the dumping law? It's like environmental, uh, right. Well, environmental he said it was in, in violation of the clean air act. So it, it's, it's really an, an environmental question, but okay. So, so we have some, some trash, well, alleged trash burning, right? You, you have some alleged material burning. Okay. Right. All right. Um, and then it did not go well at trial. What, what happened at trial that made you 
decide to appeal? I guess, what was the issue that you were wanting the second court of appeals to take a look at? So the, the statutory scheme is very complicated. Um, that's the thing I'll say out the gate. It, it involves the water code, uh, the admin code, and health and safety code. Don't you love when three different codes come together in a, in a criminal charge? I do if it involves animals and fencing and I mean, open obviously. range. Right? That's, <laughs> that's, that's when people from across state call me is when that's kind of the issue. If it's clean air, no, they're going to, yeah. No. Wow. Well, now we know. Now we have an attorney that we can call. Right. If we ever get one of these calls. One, if you're, one if of you're, these cases. If your chicken gets free, call me. If you have a violation of the Clean Air Act, call Jeff. That's right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, so you're having to deal with multiple codes, um, which like you said, that automatically makes for a complicated scheme because usually if we, if we have a case in a, a criminal case, we might involve the health, health and safety code as we go to figure out if this chemical is really listed as a uh, prohibited substance. But usually we're looking at it and going, you know, if a person does this, against this kind of thing they've committed an offense and in this case it'd be a class a misdemeanor right i mean it's pretty yeah it's a little bit of if then but you aren't going you're not opening multiple codes at one time um so what was the issue right so our, our we had a few sufficiency of the evidence arguments um and so the big thing to me was nothing was even picked up or examined at the scene uh, so nothing was seized and nothing was lab tested. And this, this is the argument we made in the brief uh, and uh, at oral argument is that, you know, pretty much any case that involves uh, you being accused of doing something illegal with a material, they're going to seize and test that material if possible. Um, and that was not done here. So that was the, the big sufficiency item. And then the second thing was that uh, I felt the video directly contradicted much of the testimony presented at trial. Mm. So if that testimony is inaccurate, I would say that uh, supports our sufficiency argument. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. videos are an amazing thing, right? Because uh, we've all seen a report where the officer says this or this happened. And in, and in your case, the officer says something and maybe in the report and on the stand in the video, you're saying doesn't show that whatever it is. Um, on the other hand, though, I, I know I've had a few clients where I said, okay, I hear what you're telling me, but I'm watching the video right now. Why don't right. you come in and let's look at it together. And you explain to me how, what you've just said and what the video shows. Go yeah. The, I mean, the weird thing is that even if the offense report is different than the video, then by the time you get to testimony, they've rewatched their video and their testimony aligns with the video. So, yeah, usually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that's, did he not prep for trial? Uh, I'm, I'm sure they did prep for trial, but I, I think their, their argument on the witness stand was that what they saw in person is not accurate, accurately portrayed on the video. And that was after they said the video is a full and accurate depiction of what they saw. <laughs> okay. Yeah, man. Wow. That, that I remember you telling me about this trial back uh, when, when it occurred um, golly, sounds like just such a, such a circus. Um, okay. So, so you, you have this thing, you're like, wait a second. I just don't know if this is right. I, I maybe, you know, maybe you were getting hometown who knows it's a bench trial. Um, a lot of things can happen. Um, but you decide to appeal 
um, you know, talk to us a little bit about that process. So just, you know, for our, for our new defenders out there, when do you have to file the notice of appeal by? Uh, I think you generally have a week, if I remember off the top of my head, to file your notice of appeal. I thought it was 30 days. 30 days Maybe from, from motion the motion new trial. Motion for new trial, yeah. yeah it was also 30 days. And then the, yeah, and then the... Um, I know because I just filed both okay. those. But you got, it, you got it in within the week? I, I think I did it within a week or so. But I, I so one, I, I had to figure out how do I even do, how do I even do this? Um, do yeah. I need to file a motion for new trial or do I not? And after looking at the grounds for, you know, what a new trial uh, is supposed to consist of, I didn't, I didn't think we needed a, a motion for new trial. I didn't think that was appropriate. So I just followed my notice of appeal, but I had to call several people just to figure out how to do that. Yeah. Because um, every opening my own practice right after the bar, I, I uh, have figured out a lot of stuff on the fly. Um, so it takes me probably a little more time to do than, than someone else. Oh, I mean, I, it was the same way for me when I opened my practice. Um, I'm sure it was for you too. Andrew. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just learning. We don't, we don't learn. We learned a lot of the book stuff in law school. We don't learn a lot of like the, the running a business or, you know, Hey, now in practice, I actually have to do this. It, it does. It takes I was about saying, even if you know technically how to do it, right. When you actually have to do it from scratch, that that's, that's where the rubber hits the road and you're suddenly calling everybody, you know, and trying to figure out exactly how to do it. Right, Jeff. Well, yes, sir. Yeah. Not only that, but, but every court is different also. Like some courts in the smaller counties, you file things through the coordinator first and then who's going to pass it on to the clerks. Now they have e-filing, which is, which is great and has helped, but there's still some counties that are getting up to speed on the e-filing. So, so just, you know, filing things, learning the process and procedure for each individual court uh, can be very confusing. And, you know, like in Tarrant County, there's 10 different judges, 10 different courts, court coordinators. They all have different procedures. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the little, it's the little nuances. And then if you go into a different, a different County, right. So, so you're at hood, you, you finished it up. You realize you fight, you need to file a notice for appeal. You write your notice for appeal. That's a relatively easy piece. That's the easy, easy hurdle. How long yeah. does it take from that at that point to actually get your appeal filed how, how long how much work did you put in on this um i mean it's it's kind of hard to tell since i'm not a, a time tracker kind of guy necessarily but I, I would say estimate probably the equivalent of, of two full work weeks if you add up all the time yeah wow um some somewhere around 80 hours maybe on and off you know over many many days uh, many, many weeks. So <laughs> many, many, you, you may not be able to see Jeff's, you may have heard it in his voice, but he, he truly kind of went to a far away, like, oh, I dear don't want to do that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Please. and I've never seen that look on his face until just My then. Gosh. I've known him for a little over a year. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I I've written, I've written a handful of appeals and, and just, just synthesizing the reporter's record to the clerk's record and making sure that is accurately cited in your brief is, man, that is, uh, th that is so much work. It is so much work. So, uh, kudos to you. Yeah. So a one, a one out. day, a one day trial. Yeah. Took 80, hours. 60 to 80 hours. I, I uh, think that's fair. Yeah. Of, of, of good work. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, getting it all together. Uh, and what we, in, 
well, you may have already kind of said this, but what was your main argument? And, and I'm asking you to, to, to call down all of 60 hours, 60 or 80 hours. What was your main argument on appeal? Uh, that the government didn't do its due diligence because they didn't seize or lab test anything and that the testimony was inaccurate uh, when confronted with the, the video of the actual incident. Right on. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Seems, it actually seems pretty clear. So the surprising piece in this really for, for me is that the second court of appeals in Fort Worth said, we think there's enough here. We want to have you come in and, yeah. and give oral argument. Did you request oral argument? I, I did. And the, the state did not. I want to throw that out there. Yeah. I mean, you know, that makes sense. They've got, you know, for every case that's going through, they have an appellate division. Um, I guess they were represented their own DA's office or county attorney's office, whoever um, was represented the state on appeal. They did. Yeah. So with that small of office, I, I, I can, uh, I can see, it. I'm not surprised at that fact. Right. So from when you, when did you learn that you were being granted oral arguments? Um, I think that was probably a few months ago, maybe two or three months ago. Um, well, after I'd submitted the brief. Of course. And then um, when you found out you were being granted oral arguments, were you given your date and time or did that come later? No, uh, the notice that I remember reading had the date and time on it, it even had, you know, COVID restrictions on it, for how many people could be there. Okay. Wow. All right. All right. So we get, we're, we're I'm going to use your, you said a couple of months, two to three months. I'm going to say, you know, you got this early summer, um, maybe late May, early June kind of deal, uh, for this oral argument. You've already submitted your brief. It's now six months old, um, or your appeal. What do you do to prep up for the oral argument itself? Cause that's a completely different I've watched them a few times. It's a very different deal than writing a brief. What did you, did you do anything to prep up? Uh, I actually felt this was one thing the law school really prepped us well for. Uh, shout out Texas A&M School of Law. Um, we rehearsed. Do they whoop? The A&M School of Law? We, we do. I, oh. I do not. Whoop. I, All right. No. Um, You're an Aggie. We, we rehearse uh, in the first year writing classes uh, an oral argument. And there's, you know, we got the moot court team and stuff like that too, but uh, we got a lot of practical tips on how to prep and what to bring up with you, that type of thing. And uh, I, I did what the school taught me to do. Um, you know, you, you can't go up there bringing a bunch of papers with you because you, you're not going to have time to look anything up. Right. Yeah. I've been told that it's like taking a test. You, you know, you can take an open book test. But those are the worst because you're never going to have time to look at unless you know exactly where it is that you want to write the quote. Yeah. You don't have time to look anything up in the book. You've got to know it already. Um, so how did you do that? Did you, did you just go through the brief and highlight it and, and make sure you knew your stuff? Or was there something particular you did to prep up? And it's um, a loaded question because I know the answer. <laughs> I basically <laughs> took an outline from uh, my brief and tried to condense it down to three pages. And uh, I put that all in a folder and, and brought that up with me. And I rehearsed it about eight times yeah. um, so that I could memorize as much as possible and give sites to the record while I'm presenting to the court as well as uh, case information. 
now did like mm-hmm. even before um you know getting to that point of developing your your outline i imagine that there's a lot of prep work that goes into into dr- even drafting that or convincing your your brief down tell us a little bit about like what went into uh to doing that um well the, you know my in, i want to give a shout out to a few people while i talk about this uh michael sure. mola gave me a lot of great uh tips for a uh, pellet prep Oh, yeah. Um, and my interns were a big help, uh, as well. Uh, they even came in to help me rehearse. Um, but basically it was, we all kind of looked at the brief, um, and just kind of tried to shorten it down as much as possible. We even looked at the state's brief and we're like, you know, what do we think, uh, we should focus on what are that, I guess that's the next thing is I made multiple arguments in my written brief. I knew I would not have time to talk about all of them. So I tried to focus on what the most important things were. Yeah. You know, and I, uh, you mentioned MOLA. Um, when I am asked by other attorneys, like, how did you figure this, this area of the law out? Or, you know, you, you seem to know what you're talking about in this area of the law. How did you get to that point? I always tell them like, man, first thing is, you know, go to the TCDLA listserv, call Michael MOLA. I mean, that's, that's really it. Uh, he's one of the moderators of the listserv. Um, and, and if you're a TCDLA member, you can find his contact number um, easily. He's a very busy dude, but uh, I'm sure he won't mind us giving him a shout out. He, he is a huge asset to us for sure. Well, and just the listserv itself and the, and the, oh, yeah. and the emotions and the, you know, if you go and kind of Google something on the TCDLA listserv, you may find that it's not Michael, but you will find someone in the state that has yeah get, figured t- it out touched on that yeah. and so you can call them up and and that's a great thing about a group like tcdla so i do want to give them a shout out again that that we help each other we realize that we are not in this alone we are all in a common fight and that is for the justice so the the date for oral argument comes the this was what this past week right or last week i know this episode is dropping on the 15th so it would have been you know the week uh friday the 10th or before then um your is this is the second court of appeals a hot court? Do they ask you? Do they pepper you with questions as you're going through your your presentation? I, I think that probably depends on which justices you have. Uh, they asked me a lot of questions. Yeah, um, and that's that's part of the reason for anyone who's prepping for an oral argument. You know, you want to rehearse is so that you can still get out whatever message that you had intended on on really advocating for with the panel. Because they may ask you questions that are completely different than what you want to convey message-wise. Right, right. So would you say that that if you've got three points, don't build, don't don't start with your weak and build the strong. You get the strong one out there and get it out there really fast because you may never get to points two and three. That that's that's probably one effective way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. So this is not legal. This is this is going with your gut, and we obviously don't have an answer. How did you feel? How did you, how would you grade your own performance regardless of how the appeal comes out in that, in that moment? I I can honestly say that I do not think there's anything I could have done more to prep uh, for the oral argument. Man, that's a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you win or lose, you've given it your best shot. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, If I had not rehearsed it as many times as I did, uh, it probably wouldn't have gone as well as it did on game day. But, uh, as a, as a former athlete, I'm all about, uh, peaking on game day. <laughs> right on. Yeah, man. 
Um, I guess that makes sense. If you're, if you're an athlete, yeah, give your best performance when it counts. Um, well, I mean, is this something that you would, um, you know, that, that you're going to try and do more of, or was it like, you know what, first, first time didn't really like the experience. I don't think I'm going to try that anymore. Is it a one and done? Yeah. Um, I, I actually think I might try to do some more appeals. I think the, the self hazing of the process, uh, won't be as bad next time around. Um, and, uh, I, I did enjoy it, but I, it is something I had to set aside the rest of my workload to do. Yeah. It's kind of like being in trial for trial attorneys. Like it's, I love it. It's great, but you really have to put your practice and the business side of your practice on hold while you are physically in trial. Yeah. The, these, these kind of things, um, uh, a big case that, that takes a lot of research, an appeal, trial, they, they become all-encompassing. I know when I'm, when I'm working on something like this, when I'm working on a trial, when I'm thinking about you know, these kind of pieces, I find myself waking up in the middle of the night. I'm cross-examining people in my head, in my sleep. So, um, you know, it's just important. So, uh, so what did you learn from the experience? Right. I mean, that, that's a different question, but. Uh, I, well, I, I learned a great deal um, and, and going through the record also kind of helped me think a little more about trial. Um, you know, I, I recently read the book from the TCDLA site. I think it was by Charles Mesmer. And it talked about how he basically would take a case from trial through all the appeals. And he said, it. I think in the book, he says it helped make him a better attorney. Uh, to kind of reflect on. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that like mentally, like kind of like Andrew was saying, it, it gives you practice on preserving error, which is very important for trial attorneys. And, and I think, you know, if you know you're going to be handling the appeal and you're familiar with that process, then it's going to make you a much better trial attorney. Um, you know what? I, I am sure if I did more of the appellate side uh, of our work, I, I think I would learn a lot about, you know, just like the nuts and bolts, like appellate bonds, for instance, like, I mean, that was, you had that come up in this case, right? Uh, I did. And I obviously I'd never done an appellate bond before. So, so tell had, us about that. Yeah. Um, well, that, that involved uh, some conversations. Uh, with, I guess for our, for our listeners, what is an appellate bond? When we say appellate bond, what does that mean? Well, just like when you get arrested and you can bond out, um, you can get a bond while your case is pending outcome on appeal. And, um, so I, I felt as if my client probably wanted to get out on an appellate bond. And so I, I pursued that is issue, uh, because I, like all of us in criminal defense, we are very client centered. Right. So, so I guess, okay. So he was sentenced to some term or, or they were sentenced to some term in the County jail and you filed a notice of appeal and, a, you know, a request for an appellate bond, the judge took up that request, said it, and then he was able to get out on that appellate bond. That's all we mean. That's what we mean when we say appellate bond, huh? Yes, sir. Cool. Okay. Good deal. Yeah. And see, it's like little nuts and bolts, things like that, um, that I think a lot of attorneys are, I don't know if it's fear or maybe just comfort. It's a comfort issue. They just don't want to go about figuring out every little you know, st along a step along the way and, and trying to, to do something new. Or you don't know, and it's not obvious. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, sometimes there's, um, well, 
I don't change the oil on my car, not because I couldn't figure it out, but because I know I would miss something that's obvious and I would blow up my car. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's always the things that I think keep us awake as attorneys an appellate bond. I know right. one what is because I... I've, I've done one on a felony. So, yeah. the, so the lady could, could actually get out. Um, but those things that you don't even know exist, especially as a, as a young attorney, a new attorney like Jeff is, um, and even a seasoned attorney, there's always some trip wires you just haven't ever crossed before. And the last thing you want to do is face plant in front of, in front of the court or for your, your client. You know, so, you were just saying that, you know, you'll be waking up in the middle of the night going through a cross-examination in your mind. Those are the kind of things that keep me up at night or wake me up in the middle of the night is like, what am I missing? What do I not know? that I am, that I am missing here that I, that I should know that I could be doing to, to further help my client. So that's great. So, so in short, a lot of time, a lot of time, a lot of time, talk. 60 to 80 hours. And then that didn't just count for the, the brief, prep, right? Yeah. That didn't count the prepping for oral arguments, doing the oral arguments. And you said that what you've learned is that, that doing that whole process from start to finish, and you're not really finished yet. You think it's going to make you a better attorney in every aspect right? I do. Uh, it helped me really think about uh, macro level planning next time I want to take a case to trial. All right. Very cool. I like it. Right. Well, Jeff, we, we, you, you've listened to a few of our episodes and uh, we sent you over some fun questions we ask everybody because, you know, again, we're not, we're not just machines. We actually have feelings and things we enjoy. Uh, so what is your favorite band or musical artist? Uh, the Killers. Okay. Good band. Nice. I like them. What about, um, you know, your favorite book or a book that you read recently that you recommend to other people? Uh, well, if you're a fan of old school Star Wars, uh, my favorite book is actually a trilogy of books. It's called the Han Solo Trilogy. First book is the Paradise Snare. And uh, it's a prequel to the original films. And it talks about how he gets the Millennium Falcon as a ship and how he meets uh, Chewbacca. It's a, they're a good read. Cool. Yeah. No, nothing wrong with just having some fun when you read. No, for, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to, to kind of cut loose and relax. What, what's the best piece of advice you've been given? It could be professional or personal. I, I have thought a lot about this. Um, and I, I think I probably should narrow it down. Uh, something my dad taught me, which is uh, hard work can uh, create a better performance than talent. And uh, starting my own firm out of school, uh, I don't necessarily have a lot of skills or talent yet but i can work hard enough to get on the same level or better than someone else with more experience yeah and i i you know seeing that firsthand uh from you know you opening you know just hanging your shingle out that first day i don't i don't i have rarely seen another attorney work as hard as you um and not only like you're not doing it by yourself like uh, what i think is really admirable is you're asking for help when you recognize it's not something that you're familiar with or it's out of your it's out of your comfort zone um, and I, I think more attorneys, um, should be doing that. It's certainly like, you know, newer attorneys. I, I don't think we can call you a new attorney anymore, seeing that you're the breadth of your experience, but, uh, kudos, man. I'm proud of you. You've done good work. Well, that, that's very kind. Thank you. I, w I wouldn't be able to do it without supportive mentors like y'all, um, or my wife, uh, who's my office manager, Christine, she's in there every day. Uh, she'll listen to this. I, I, Thank you so much, Christine, for let's be honest. She, oh. she, she deserves way more credit than anybody else in yeah, this room no for joke. your success. She yeah. does. <laughs> um, uh, but, but going back to what you said, the advice, right? 
that hard work will outperform talent in the long run. They've actually done some studies. There is very little, there's almost nothing that is really natural talent. It is just doing the same thing over and over and over again and learning how to do it well. Um, so that hard work is crucial. I heard a professional athlete say that when he, kept, would, when he was in junior high and high school coming home from working out, his dad would ask him, did you outwork the other three guys? And he goes, dad, I was the only one there. And he goes, no, the other three guys at the other schools who want the same job you do. Right. And you go, huh? So yeah, good, good reminders. Good reminders. Thank you, Jeff, for, for helping me remember. I've got to do some, do some hard work. I, I can't know. just get by on go, good looks. I better go study after this <laughs> episode. Um, well, tell, tell our audience, tell our listeners how they can, uh, how they can find you. If anybody's out there needing some help or has some questions on appeals, um, how can they reach out to you? Uh, my office number is 817-345-0147. Uh, we are on Facebook. Uh, we don't have a website yet, but that might be coming. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't charge people to, to just call me up and ask me questions. So feel free to blow my phone up. <laughs> that, that, that'll stop. change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll put that up on the show notes. But, uh, but Jeff, thanks. I, I really appreciate you uh, sharing your experience on this. It's certainly not something that I, I think Andrew or I could have uh, adequately talked about uh, just to show with, our, with, with just us two. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Well, of course, always you can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on the web. You can find us on Facebook at Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. You can find us on podcasts the same way, Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. And Spotify now. Ooh, on Spotify. Fancy. Yeah. Um, you can also find us on the web at Texas Crim, C R I M Defense.com. Uh, that's our official website. Uh, feel free to reach out to us, shoot us an email if you have an idea. Uh, we do like it when we get ideas because yeah, we know the collective is much smarter than we are. That's part of the reason why we do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thanks for listening. Thank you, Jeff, for coming on the show, and we will see you next time.